You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their You got Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Saturday night's all right for fighting time. It's just going to cost you 250 large time. Hey, we got uh, more legal stories with Tennessee Athletics time. Oh, by the way. It's Bama Week time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast presented by French's Original Yellow Mustard, the official artillery ammunition of the University of Tennessee Athletic Department since October 17th, 2021. Coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a, a rainy Thursday afternoon. It's a little bit, little bit misty, rain this morning. Some showers throughout the day located here just about two miles from Neyland Stadium where Tennessee will not be this weekend. The Vols will be down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, playing the fourth-ranked Crimson Tide. It's the third Saturday in October. Bryant-Denny Stadium, 7 p.m. Eastern, ESPN kickoff. Vols a significant, significant underdog, as one would expect in this game. It's been probably, what, six years since Bama's been not the favorite in a game, which is – Maybe the most asinine stat that I can think of in college football history. But uh, we can certainly understand why Tennessee is a several-score underdog in this game. Look at the records. Look at the rosters. Look at Tennessee's attrition as much as anything. Plenty to discuss in this episode, though. We're going to talk a little Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, uh, Tennessee athletics in general, some legal stuff. So, of course, we're going to go down to the Blount County Satellite Office at Govals 24-7 for uh, Tennessee our Tennessee basketball beat writer at GoVols 24-7, also our resident legal expert, Grant Ramey. Grant, what's up? I am considered the great legal mind of my generation. I have heard which that. Is, which is to say I've watched a lot of Law & Order. Dun, dun, dun. Um, mostly, mostly special victims unit. But you... that kind of quit when – I, I kind of stopped that when I had a daughter. I couldn't really handle the kid stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, I don't think I need to be taking this in. Yeah, it don't. Anytime he sees a black light, he just gets triggered. He's like, "What's going on? What's in here? What's in right, here?" Right, exactly. Lots to discuss on this program. Of course, it is Tennessee Alabama week. We will be uh, discussing that quite significantly in the second segment of this episode because you know, I mean, it, it's listen. Tennessee's a whatever it is, twenty eight, twenty six, twenty nine point underdog uh, for a reason. Uh, this is a game Tennessee's expected to struggle in, um, but it is Tennessee Alabama week. Uh, there's lots of interesting things to discuss, including Tennessee's quarterback situation, which is always a crowd pleaser. Lots and lots of interesting stuff there. Uh, Josh Heupel talking injuries is always – it is what it is. But, you know, he certainly has said at least a little bit this week to give us at least some discussion points. I would say give us an idea, but not that. At least give us discussion points on things that you could look out for in Saturday's game, some other health stuff to discuss, uh, a bunch of guys that are question marks for Tennessee – uh, including a, you know, when, when Heupel was asked Monday about a fourth linebacker, inside linebacker, the first name he mentioned was a 210-pound senior walk-on. So lots and lots of interesting stuff to parse over there. Clearly some Joe Milton the third discussion that, that we're going to have to have, even though it's going to make people drive off the road probably. Lots and lots to discuss. But before we get to that, uh, we have not had a podcast episode since – uh, the events of, I guess, two nights ago. Um, you know, it's like I said, granted, I don't know how many people saw it because I tweeted this at like one in the morning. But covering Tennessee, like the day that you had Jeremy Pruitt's lawyers like flirting with extortion almost in the, in the comments uh, about things that they could uncover or, or about things that else were going on at UT uh, in other sports, not just football and implicating other people currently on the football staff, people – uh, in the basketball program, people in the department, et cetera, et cetera. And then you had Rick Barnes, uh, Reverend Rick Barnes, releasing a statement that basically said, K my A. Uh, and then you had Philip Fulmer releasing a statement, also throwing Jeremy Pruitt under the bus. And, and 
that would have been an earthquake at most places. Uh, at Tennessee, it was kind of like pebbles skipping over a rock. Uh, it, it was sort of, you know, I, I said, Grant, it's like in My Cousin Vinny when Joe Pesci has to go to prison to get a good night's sleep. That's sort of what, what this feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, if, if uh, things get a little too uh, normal, we would just kind of like lose our mind. We'd, we'd be a little bit bored. Yeah, or or we'd be like um, t- we'd be like traumatized or terrified, thinking what's going to happen. Like, what are we missing? Why why it's like, why is there not chaos? Where is it? How am I missing? Am I getting scooped? What's happening here? It's like uh, the people that cover Tennessee. It's it's just like screen time for a toddler. Like we need some kind of distraction. If it's not a uh, <laughs> if it's not officials not being able to figure out if Tyler Barron returned a fumble for a touchdown or the play was blown dead or the quarterback <laughs> gave himself up or where to spot the football or um, dodging water bottles and mustard bottles and glass crown royal bottles and vape pens and golf balls and delaying the game 20 minutes. And if it's not any of that, we need some kind of other distraction. Oh, here comes Jeremy Pruitt and his lawyer saying, you'll give us what we want or we'll expose everything that we know about. Um, I, I don't, I don't know the finer points of extortion or blackmail or wh- whatever this is or whatever this could be. Um, but this is, yeah, and there is some history here with Michael Lyons, the guy yes, yes, yes. support uh, representing Jeremy Pruitt because he went to Kansas, went to bat for the ex-Kansas coach. His name is uh, David Beatty, something yeah, like that, yeah. escaping me, and, and actually had some success there. Now, that could be a completely different story, different set of circumstances between the university and between this ex-coach. With Pruitt, I don't think there's any denying from his side that there was wrongdoing and he, he was fired for cause. I don't think they're trying to say we're clean here. I think they're trying to say, yeah, we might have, you know, we might have broken some rules, but other people were breaking rules as well that were here before us, that were here while we were here. And those rules were, or those broken rules were covered up or not exposed, whatever. Uh, and I, I don't know, just the, the unique, uniqueness of this where both sides are digging in and prepared to have their day in court, I mean, buckle up. Only at Tennessee, right? Yeah, it's really interesting because I, when, when it comes to legal matters, I, I as with most matters, uh, I am very, very much not an expert. I, I make no bones about that. I, I am not uh, – I did not go to law school. I am not uh, West Rucker ESQ. I, 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 don't, I don't know – I couldn't tell you, like, I, I can tell you, man, that kind of looks like extortion or blackmail, doesn't it? But, you know, legally speaking, probably it's not because there's a reason, I, you know, th- that's for smarter people than me. However, what I can tell you is that I have talked to a couple of lawyers, uh, you know, friends, family members, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I just sort of read to them, you know, the statements that, that have been coming out, the ones both from, from Pruitt's attorney, who, by the way, it, I don't know you know, what evidence Pruitt has in this case, but he hired the one lawyer who, if you're Tennessee, it's going to make you cringe a little bit because this guy has a history in a situation like this of going in and embarrassing a university. So uh, whatever the secret sauce is there, uh, this guy has accepted it. Now, now maybe that just means that, that he's got this reputation and that's going to make Tennessee hesitant and going to make Tennessee think that he's being serious and maybe they're going to give him some money for his client. I, I, I don't know. But I did sort of, you know, read over the statements, talked about it with some, some, some lawyer friends and family and whatnot. And, and the way they explained it to me was that every, you know, obviously every lawyer is different, right? Um, you know, you can't, the, the, the range of ethics there is uh, quite large. Uh, you've got the, you've got like the, uh, like the goody two shoes, every law must be followed, type of lawyers and then you have like you know your gangster lawyers so you've got different there's totally different ends of the spectrum there and i have known some really good people who are lawyers by the way so there are some out there they do exist and what i got from them was that they put themselves in the shoes of pruitt's legal team and said that that kind of statement probably indicates one of two things either they have all of the receipts or they have none of them. Basically, they said there was almost no way in the middle. Like, if you make a statement like that in their mind, that either means you have enough where you would happily go to court right now 
and embarrass everyone and get, you know, damages paid to your client and, and all these other things and embarrass the university or force them to um, a settlement of some kind, or you have absolutely nothing and this is you throwing your cards out there, you know, you've got a 2-7 offsuit and you're, you're saying all in just to, to see if they'll bluff. So, so that, that's, the, that's the general impression I got from there. Now, there's probably lawyers listening to this right now uh, thinking you're an idiot. That's, there's so many ways to look at this. But, but generally speaking, that's the two ways I was told. But what was interesting was when I talked to them about Rick Barnes and Philip Fulmer's comments, that they said they, the two most likely scenarios there are, one, they know there are no receipts or they've done nothing wrong. Uh, so either one of those things, they, they, they know that there is no paper trail out there. There is nothing other than hearsay that could possibly get them in trouble and they are not worried. Or number two, they're really stupid. Those were the two options I was basically given that either they are convinced beyond any doubt that A, they haven't done anything or B, that there is no proof on paper other than hearsay that they've ever done anything. And hearsay is not proof of paper that is not admissible in court. It's not. And the other thing is, B, uh, they also are bluffing and they're dumb and they don't know that they could be, these words could come back to haunt them. I was really surprised, Grant. I know Rick Barnes okay. You know him a lot better uh, as, you know, because I used to, be a beat writer now i kind of cover him as a columnist you're there you know you're you're the beat writer you're you're there i'm there most of the time you're there all the time with hoops and you know a lot of those people in that program were you as surprised as i was specifically about because because fulmer's in one case but but barnes is the one that really surprised me that he would come out with words that strong publicly and Barnes came out first with it. Yeah. Uh, Fulmer came out a little bit after Barnes. And Barnes was even more direct. And, you know, there was no black and white. I mean, there was no gray area. It was black and white what Barnes was saying. Um, with Rick, I think, obviously, A, he's been a head coach for almost 40 years. I mean, he's, he's, he's done it since 87 at George Mason, I think, 87, 88. Yeah. And when Tennessee hired Rick, they were coming off a very embarrassing hire of Donnie Tindall where – you needed a head coach. You should have vetted your head coach. You clearly didn't vet him well enough because he had NCAA stuff hovering over him at a previous job. So here he was for one year, and you had just had a relationship sour with Conzo Martin. You had Donnie Tyndall. They had to turn to somebody that was going to be able to build their program, do it with integrity, do it the right way, all that stuff, not skirt the rules, not be in, you know, somebody that's going to flirt with NCAA wrongdoing and, and have another investigation, have to go down that road totally again. And they immediately turned to Rick Barnes, who one day was fired at Texas or parted ways or however they want to phrase it. And the next day was basically on a plane going to Knoxville with Dave Hart to be the new Tennessee head coach. I think that speaks volumes about Rick's career and what Rick's uh, track record is and what his reputation is in terms of running a program, building a program, doing it the right way within the rules. And I really, I mean, unless I'm missing something, I don't remember any circumstances where Rick's been kind of gone down that road before. No, I mean, I, I can just speak candidly and say that, you know, I remember the Durant recruitment and I remember Tucker and some of those others. And I remember there being people who were wondering seriously how a five-star, one of the best players of his generation from Washington, D.C. is going to Texas at that point. You know, you had – a lot of questions and a lot of people rolling their eyes, but, but I never saw anything on, right. You know, in and a document there or, or any strong accusations of saying this was done specifically wrong. And if you're Rick and you're, you're going to put your name on something, this definite, this with this much fire to it, with the experience that he has, I think that tells you all you need to know about where he's coming from with this, because all they did here, and this is not really all they did. It's a pretty big deal in this letter to Tennessee Pruitt and his lawyers requested records be preserved for a few people on the football side, Fulmer, um, Carmen Togano, Butch Jones, Willie Martinez, Tommy Thigpen, those guys. And then on the basketball side, Larry Pratt, obviously a huge donor, Pratt Pavilion. Everybody yeah. knows that name. Uh, and Rick Barnes. 
in uh, Bobby Mays. The, the, Mays, the Mays one's interesting because there's right, a because, lot. Of, there's, it's, because it's, obviously Jaden Springer, Drew Pember, Hanjay Tom, but you can go down the list. They, they've had a lot of B Mays kids go from B Mays to Tennessee. So to connect all those names together, you, you know what they're implying here. And Rick saw that. And just a few hours after all this stuff was reported, he came out and, and came out with the fire that he had about very strongly, you know, going after Pruitt and saying, you know, he should not be trying to um, sour the, the names of people who supported him the whole time he was here. And he's, he's not here anymore because of his own wrongdoing and nothing anybody else did. So I think with Rick's track record, with what he put his name on in that statement, the words he was using, I think that tells you all you need to know. And it's really, I mean, in this business, in the NCAA, in recruiting and all that, it's not about um, what you've done. It's about what people can prove you've done and what people, what that paper trail is or what the receipts are, what, what, whatever wrongdoing is there that can be proven. I mean, Tony Soprano run a huge crime ring in North Jersey, but when they started talking business, the boss got up and left the table. Yep. He left the room because he can't be there when they're talking business because he's the boss. You can't tie anything to I think that's college athletics in a nutshell. It's not, do you break rules? It's, can you, is your name attached to those broken rules? Can people follow a trail to you? I don't, I don't know what Rick Barnes's track record is, you know, by the people who know inside the business, inside the recruiting circles, all that stuff. But I think the way he came out and denied this and went after Pruitt the way he did tells you how confident he is in his integrity and how he does things the right way. Yeah, I have two very conflicting thoughts on this before we go to break. One of them is is simply, as someone who's what covered college athletics, the SEC, for, for I guess 21 years or 20 years, whatever it is now, and someone who's been around you know, college basketball a good bit, Tennessee has signed a lot of high four-star and five-star prospects, a lot. And they've gone around the country to do it. And Rick Barnes has a reputation of getting guys to the league. But still, you, I just, as someone who's been around college basketball for a while, you don't ever want anyone looking too closely under your hood with college basketball because that can get really dirty in a hurry. Um, and, and we saw, you know, all, all the stuff with the SDNY with the coaches years ago, Will Wade and all those guys and Arizona, NC State, all that. But but you know Memphis caught up in some of that too. But but there's, I just don't think there's a college a D one college basketball program in the country that wants people looking under their hood. That that's that's the the first thought, and, and that's, you know maybe why Pruitt's staff knew or his legal team knew. Hey, if we just threaten this, they're not going to want any part of this because God knows if you you know go into the discovery process, God knows what you'll find. Uh, that's the one thought. The other thought is I know since Barnes has been at Tennessee and not just heard this from Barnes, but from other people that in the recruiting process, when Rick senses something like that, that he does not like, he is done recruiting that kid. Like I've seen kids go from like kids they really were interested in to nah, we're not getting involved in that. We don't that there's a handler there there. That thing is not, nope, don't want that. And, and so that makes me think that at the very least, they're smart enough to not get involved with people who are that obvious and that much of a risk. So that's like the, the cynical way to look at it. The, the naive way to look at it is they don't want to get in any trouble, right? That's, the, that's the, the naive way. The cynical way is they know not to get in bed with, with people who got fleas, right? Like that's the other way to look at it. So I, I, I don't know where it falls on that. I, I know this, Grant, right before we go to break. I, if I'm Tennessee, after – when you see this aggressive posturing by Pruitt and his legal team, I would be circling the wagons right now to make sure that I knew every possible thing they could throw out there. And, and I would go to some of my coaches, or at least I'd be like, listen, guys, all right, you're in a safe space here. What might they find? And are there receipts – or just hearsay about these things. None of you have been caught on camera saying strong ass offer or anything like that, have you? I mean, you know, just how embarrassing could this be? And if you feel good about that, then fine. Take it to court. Countersue for defamation if you want. If you feel like you've if you've been defa- if, if you feel that way, if you feel that strongly about it, go do that. Or very very quietly 
just write a check for a few million dollars and move on with your life. Because if you write a check for a few million dollars, you can do it really quietly, put a gag order, gag order on it, and this is never discussed again. And I have, from the beginning, said, I don't know what's in there. I would just sign the check. Just sign the check. If it makes you a sucker, it makes you a sucker. I call that smart business. Just sign the check and move on. Because the the risks associated with anything else happening at Tennessee right now that's bad is a risk I don't know that Tennessee can take, frankly, from, from a from a NCAA enforcement standpoint. So I, I would either – Drag the, I, I would either take this to court as quickly as possible and run this his name through the mud, or I would write a check. I wouldn't do anything in the middle there. Yeah, that was my first thought is if, when I first heard about this stuff is if I'm Tennessee, I'm just avoiding this whole thing, and I'm just – let's come to a financial agreement. It's not going to be the whole 12.6 or whatever he was owed. It's going to be something, you know, in between. And, and just pay this to go away. Just sweep it under the rug, move on, you know better days ahead, all that stuff. But when I saw the way Tennessee's Tennessee's response to it, uh, before Rick Barnes put out a statement, before Fulmer put out a statement, uh, just the way Tennessee's compliance people and, you know, all those guys responded to it in response to those letters, it made me think they think this guy's bluffing. They think this guy's got nothing. And yet, to your point, you don't want anybody under your hood, the NCAA. But at the same time, like you said, Will Wade, I mean, he was basically not far from this same spot where Jeremy Pruitt is because he was away from university for a bit while he was suspended or whatever it was. And he had a legal representation that was kind of replying to LSU about certain things. I don't think he was this far away from where Pruitt is. And then he just came back. He was coaching his team. And ever since then, it's been like, I'm going to coach my team. If you're going to come get me, come get me. And nobody's done anything about it. And maybe that is coming down the road sometime soon or whatever. You know, Sean Miller wasn't gone for a while. Is it Sean Miller at yeah, Arizona? Yeah, Am I yeah. getting the right Miller brother there? Yeah. And, I mean, and there's there's been North Carolina stuff with the classes, and there's, I mean, Kansas and Auburn with the, the shoe manufacturers and all that stuff. That's You know, there's been a lot of stuff, but there's been not a lot of consequence yet. So, regardless of what these people think they have on Tennessee, does that mean it's really going to end up in something huge? Because at other places, there's obviously – that kind of inconsistency, but the way they're defending it, the way they're responding makes you think this guy's bluffing and they got nothing. And they feel like they're confident. They, they can fight it. The other thing is that Tennessee's got a lot of, um, how should I put I, I, I think Tennessee has a lot more on Pruitt that is, that it's got sitting in its back pocket as Butch Jones might say, and, and is saying, listen, if you want to do this, bro, we'll do this. Um, but then there's also part of me that goes, you know what? I know Jeremy Pruitt, at least moderately well, you're you're talking about an Alabama country boy. He he, there, there's a part of him that if you get him hot under the collar, he'll be like, I don't care, say it, bring it, you know, let's go out, and let's do this, you know. He he'd be like uh, in Letterkenny when they take their shirts off, tarps off, boys, let's go, you know. I I just don't know that he that he cares as much as a normal person, you know, a normal coach might care. I think he's like, you know what, I, I'm a, he's got some some Alabama redneck in him. He doesn't care. He doesn't care, just, you know, so that's why this whole thing is fascinating to me. Uh, we spent probably about five minutes longer discussing it than I thought we would, but I, it's just we had to discuss it. It's out there. It's going to be an issue. It's not resolved at all, and we will have to see where it goes because would anything be a surprise at this point? The only thing I could, the only thing that would surprise me is if this quietly goes away at this point. That That's the only thing that would surprise me because this thing, nothing about this is screaming – quiet resolution so but we've said that before to, to keep the soprano reference going to quote junior soprano we're not shooting a ref uh, we're not shooting a western out here no no so I, I don't think either side wants to shoot a western out here you better find some that's hope you can find some kind of middle ground it's an excellent excellent transition quote to take us into this break because i don't you know grant's brought a couple of great sopranos references here and i don't want to try to top that so let's go away let's pay some bills listen to some products services in-house ads other fun things and we will be right back here on this edition of the go vols 24 7 podcast hashtag ad this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast welcome back to the go vols 24 7 podcast brought to you by whatever products services and in-house ad you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break also brought to you unofficially by French's uh, Original Yellow Mustard, the official artillery provider of Tennessee Athletics and its fans since October 14th, 2021. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Grant Ramey coming to you from the Blunt County Satellite Office at Go Vols 24-7 down there in Merrill in Blunt County, the county of champions, as he calls it time and time again. Uh, Ramey's also over there wearing his wearing all of his Braves gear. Y'all can't see that because we haven't gone video yet. We will at some point. We haven't yet, but but Grant's got his uh, – he's, he's got his Brave stuff on. He's trying not to jinx it, but uh, I tried last night. I tried. I tried to jinx it. I really did. I, I put out a tweet saying, man, these Braves are just so impressive, which is true. The resilience – Jinxes aren't real, Wes. Jinxes are not real. I thought you said my Twitter jinx was the most real thing on the planet. I don't know. I say a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I, but seriously, I, I'm torn because I have so much respect for that organization and the way they go about their business and uh, the the fight this team has showed through a, a whole lot of adversity, and they're still on the cusp of the World Series. Um, but I also work with a bunch of Braves fans who happen to be turds. So Listen, listen. You want to peek behind the curtain? You want to peek behind the curtain? The last 20 minutes of the game, game four, that the Braves were winning 9-2, to two, I spent watching highlights of the 2020 NLCS game four where the Braves won 10-2, to two, and Marcelo Zuna went four for five with three runs scored and four RBIs and two home runs, while Eddie Rosario in 2021 was going four for five with three runs and four RBIs and two home runs. And I was thinking, uh-oh, here we go. It's just crazy. You know, Acuna, obviously the thing with Ozuna happened. Even Soler, you know, test positive for COVID. I mean, they're, they're just, you know, the the the, the pitcher. No, no Mike Soroka. Yeah, no Mike Soroka. I mean, it's amazing what they have what they have gone through. But, you know, when you got a good mojo on the team and you got something good going on, you just you get hot at the right time, and there you are. It happens to, to, to everyone uh, occasionally, um, even the, the Braves, who uh, I work with fans of theirs who who are horrible people, so that's okay. Guys, we got plenty more to discuss in this segment, uh, this edition of the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Before we do that, though, quick reminder, please take about 90 seconds out of your day right now. Hit the subscribe button on this podcast. Please rate and review this podcast. If you're just listening on the website, no problem at all, like Ron Swanson says with alcohol. No wrong way to consume the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. If you're listening anywhere, we're appreciative of it, and we love you. But what would really help us is if you go in there in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeart, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod. You can find this GoVols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free. It's a labor of love. We're happy to do it. The only thing we ask is that you go in there. Please, please, please hit the subscribe button. Please rate and review. That helps us add wolves to the wolf pack as we've been doing since the entire time. Uh, basically that we've had this podcast. It's grown consistently since we started, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and it's been really fun to be a part of. So thank you for that. Grant, finally, on to Alabama week for Tennessee. Uh, it, it is, in my opinion still, uh, it, it's the most historically significant rivalry in Southern college football. 
in terms of the prestige of the programs, the way that, you know, everybody used for, for years and years stopped what they were doing and they watched that game. Because it was always on TV in, in an era where not every game was on TV. You know, you got the, the cigar tradition. You got, you know, uh, two of the greatest college football coaches uh, of all time, or actually three of them in this series because you've got obviously Bear Bryant, you got General Neyland, and now you got Nick Saban, you know, just and, and another Hall of Famer and Philip Fulmer. You know, Johnny Majors, another Hall of Famer. I, I mean, you, you go down the list – of players and coaches and moments in this series. It just, in my opinion, at least south of the Mason-Dixon, does not get more historically significant than this game. However, it is also a streak, a a rivalry full of streaks, and Tennessee's on, what, a 15? Is it 15 games right now? 15 games? 14. 14. 14. 14 14-game losing streak to the Tide. Uh, Alabama has become, uh, at least in the modern day, the greatest dynasty we will probably ever see uh, because there's so much parity right now. With the exception of what's been going on in Alabama, those guys have been great since Saban's second year. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, I'm not going to just sit here and praise that program because it's going to make you all throw up probably. But the point is, you know where things have gone the past 14 years, and Tennessee is again going down there with a depleted roster, a lot of injuries in bad spots, uh, a a lot of big question marks. And Alabama, while not as infallible as it has been at times uh, in recent years, I think there is some fallibility to this team. Obviously, Texas A&M proved that. Florida nearly proved that. This is not a perfect Alabama team by any stretch, and Nick Saban would be the very first to tell you that. But Tennessee is a four-score, I believe, underdog in this game for a reason. And this is a huge challenge going down there at night to play this team. Yeah, I mean, when when Texas A&M jumped out, I think it was like, what was it, 14 to 3 or Mm -hmm. something like that in the first quarter uh, a couple weeks ago in College Station. I saw the score, and I was first I was surprised at the score, obviously, and then my second thought was, you know, that's kind of cute. When's Alabama going to wake up and and score 28 straight, and it's going to be a 17-point game, it's going to be a snoozer uh, for the entire second half. So for them to go to Texas A&M and play the way they did and look human and look, uh, I don't know, almost frustrated. Like they actually have problems for the first time in, in forever. Like this could be a flawed football team. Um, yeah, they do look human at the same time, Tennessee, you know, you're depending on walk-ons in some cases to give you some depth. I mean, you're, you're, we've talked about the roster limitations before. Um, but yes, this is a historically relevant rivalry. Um, historically important to the sport of college football. Um, and right now you have to include that historical part because it's obviously not been a rivalry, exactly. at least a uh, competitive rivalry during the Saban era. And, and you're right, that's probably the greatest dynasty we'll ever see because that's probably the best coach in college football anybody's ever going to see to be that consistent and to win at the rate that they've done. Um, but rival, rivalries are you know, it's, it's not just on the field. It's, it's fan bases. These are two fan bases that don't like each other, that are never going to like each other. It doesn't matter if, if Tennessee wins 40 in a row or loses 40 in a row. They're not going to like Alabama fans. Alabama fans aren't going to like Tennessee fans. So it's always going to have some kind of historical importance. And until further notice, they're going to play every season. And it's always going to be that third Saturday in October or around there. And it's always going to be uh, important. What you do have to kind of look forward to, I think, as a Tennessee fan is, Regardless of kind of what's going on the field with this team, even if it is as crazy as the Ole Miss game was Saturday night, everything that went against them, they still had a chance to win the football game uh, on the last snap of the football game. I don't think that's going to be the case in Tuscaloosa, but I also don't think this Tennessee team's just going to go uh, down there as a four-point dog and roll over and call it a week and, and get to the bye week and just not show up. I think this team has established the fact that it's going to fight and it's going to scrap and claw for 60 minutes and it's going to try to punch above its weight class um, because it is featherweight right now, but they have shown in some instances that they can score points and they're going to fight until the end of the fourth quarter, which, you know, nobody wants a moral victory, but you also don't want a team to go down there and roll over. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee went down to the swamp, which is obviously a really tough place to play, especially at night. And, and Tennessee, we've said this time and time again, if you make a makeable field goal, and you catch a pass that's probably that I think is probably a touchdown on a fourth down play in the third quarter. You've got a three point game going down to the end of the third quarter. You got Florida being nervous. We saw uh, when you put Florida in that situation, as as Kentucky did, Florida didn't make the plays. And, and so you, you you never know what would have happened in that game. I still think Florida probably because of some physicality, because of the way Tennessee couldn't stop Jones running the ball. I, I think that 
game probably goes Florida's way anyway, but we'll never know what would have happened because Tennessee didn't make the plays. Uh, Ole Miss, Pittsburgh, uh, the other two decent teams Tennessee has played, uh, Tennessee has lost those games because Tennessee made a just a ton of self-inflicted mistakes, and they got really horrible breaks in both games. Pitt, you had the horrible spot of the ball. We all know what happened at Ole Miss. That's pretty fresh in the brains right now. And you didn't get the breaks, and you didn't make the plays, and you didn't win the game. Um, but this team has not just really kind of, you know, said, thank you, sir, may I have another all year. That's not been their their way. That's not been their mentality. And there are a couple of matchups in this game that I think are actually fairly interesting um, because Tennessee's rushing defense all season has really, really, really contained opposing running backs. They've either shut them down or they've at least limited them pretty consistently all year long for the most part. Where Tennessee has gotten in trouble in rushing defense is quarterbacks who get out and they're athletic and they run. What's interesting about this is Bryce Young is a really good athlete, but he almost never runs. I mean, you look at these numbers, it is – and, you know, college college quarterbacks, you know, rushing numbers are – you know, they're included with the – with the, the quarterback's runs or sacks are included in that. And right now, Bryce Young's got what and, – and this is for the entire season – 28 carries for negative two yards. So he's really athletic, but he almost never goes beyond the line of scrimmage. I mean, he he runs to set up throws. And Tennessee uh, gets a, you know, a ton of tackles for loss, second nationally, uh, 21st nationally in sacks, which is they're, – they're doing that very quietly, by the way, because we're still saying the pass rush isn't really good or consistent. They're 21st nationally in sacks, so they're doing something. Uh, Alabama is down there like in the 60s or 70s nationally in sacks allowed, which you almost never see. And Tennessee's running game or rushing defense tends to contain running backs. That is interesting because that that matchup there makes you think, you know, Tennessee's kind of set up defensively in a way that could at least give Alabama some problems, right? Um, but then you think, you know, Young is so good with the arm, those receivers are so good. Tennessee safeties really concern you in coverage. Still, to me, they do anyway. I, I just don't – it's a different kind of offense because you're not going to have, you know, like a like a picket running around or a Jones or a crowd running around. But it's interesting, that matchup. And then on the other side, you know, this Alabama defense has had a couple of games where it's really not looked like an Alabama defense – but then again, it's also gone, like if you look at the Ole Miss game last year and the Ole Miss game this year, what Alabama did to an offense kind of like Tennessee's, the adjustments that it made in one year, pretty pretty staggering. Now, there were some issues about maybe Ole Miss knew Bama's defensive signals last year, you know, all that stuff. You know, I, we'll see. But I, I've never seen definitive proof of that other than people in Alabama were convinced it was happening. So Tennessee – if Hendon Hooker was healthy, and we know that he might play this weekend, actually, but we, we know he's not 100% healthy. He can't be close. Both Mays brothers still banged up. Uh, you know, Karon Calbert's still not back. Evans and Small both banged up. Lenith Whitehead also a little banged up. Uh, Tennessee, if Tennessee's offense had, all, had its entire arsenal ready, or most of it, I would think, you know what? This would be an interesting game. How will Bama handle Tennessee in space and at that pace? But there's, you know, the thing to Hooker was the one to me that was like, they even overcame Cade Mays being out because Dane Davis, after a really rough half, played a lot better in the second half. But it's just, are, are we thinking too much of the past, Grant, when we're talking about the matchups in this game? Or is it a legitimate concern that Tennessee could just get physically overwhelmed? No, it's a legitimate concern. I mean, even if both teams are healthy 100%, I'm sorry, if Tennessee's healthy 100%, you're still concerned about the matchup on the, on both lines of scrimmage because of the talent that Alabama has and always has and replaces every year and the talent that Tennessee lost and the, and the talent they attempted to replace in the transfer portal. I mean, these are two teams that are living on two different planets in terms of personnel, talent, recruiting, what they've done the last, you know, X number of years. Um, with stability, continuity, and everything at Alabama and winning and, you know, roster attrition and turnover and all that stuff at Tennessee. So I think even if healthy, um, it's a huge concern. I think when you factor in Cooper Mays, Cade Mays, Tyon Evans, Javari Small, Edith Whitehead, Hendon Hooker, 
Um, you just go down the list of all those guys that we said at the beginning of the season can't get injured. They all seem to have gotten injured and missed time. Yep. So, and, and you're right about Bryce Young. He's not, he's not going to go Mac Crow and run 30 times for 200 yards. I mean, who on the planet saw this kid coming in and running and looking like Johnny Manziel light uh, working off a spy and, and, and driving people nuts all night. Um, but at the same time, Kenny Pickett didn't really have to run downfield. He just had to extend plays for Pittsburgh and find somebody down the field, you know, after the play's broken up a little bit. And he had a ton of success doing that. And I think he threw four touchdowns and, and he was, you know, probably the biggest reason Pittsburgh won that game aside from Tennessee getting in its own way. So you kind of have to, you don't want to allow another old Miss where the quarterback's running up and down the field 30 times on you. But you also, if he doesn't run, which you probably wouldn't expect based on the numbers, you also don't want to let him get out of the pocket and extend plays, get off platform or whatever uh, the quarterback gurus are saying these days and extend those plays and find somebody downfield because that's been a just as big of an issue. I mean, Tennessee's, despite the talent difference, they're, they, they are good at tackles for loss and changing the line of scrimmage and getting after quarterbacks. That's going to have to happen one way or the other this week if they're going to stay in this game for some time. Uh, and they're going to have to figure out a way to stop the run despite all the talent there. Um, with Alabama, it does seem like people with, uh, with Bill O'Brien are not very happy with him um, and kind of seem kind of frustrated with what they've done or what they've not been able to do at times this season. I mean, what they did at Texas A&M, I think, stands out the most. They had it, what, on the four-yard line uh, and threw it four times and, and it didn't work out or three times or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so Tennessee's going to have to find a way to have some success defensively against all odds, kind of like they have all season, if they're going to stick around in this because the matchups, yeah, they're, they're beyond a legitimate concern. They're, they're, they are very, very real. But what's interesting to me, though, is that Tennessee's defense does not get physically overwhelmed in terms of getting run over. Uh, when you look at what it does to running backs every week, and the easiest way to soften up any defense is you just give it to the running back a bunch of times, you know, eventually something's going to crack, something's going to pop open, something's going to get frustrating for the for for that defense, and and then you can, then you can set up big plays. But it just seems like that's still a lot of what Alabama wants to do at times. Uh, you know, even though its rushing numbers aren't as good this year, Brian Robinson Jr. is a good player. He's not Derrick Henry or you know any you know he, or Eddie Lacy or go down the list right of you know you know Josh Josh Johnson. All you go down the list of all of those all of those Alabama running backs, right? All of them. And I don't think he's like on that level, but he's a really good player. And they've got some guys behind him who are good too, but their running numbers aren't, aren't great. I mean, they, they definitely want to put the ball in Young's hands and have him win the ball throwing it. And they got great receivers and really, really, really good tight ends who give you problems. And that's something that's going to be interesting this week is how Tennessee matches up against those Bama tight ends who are both, you know, the two really good players. I, I just, to me, every time I think about this game, I think about – I think Tennessee will physically hang in there for a while. I think it might even make a play or two. We'll see. I mean, if Milton goes out there or, or and, and if he's the starter and just can't hit a pass downfield and their running backs are hurt and can't go, it, it could get really ugly in a hurry. Uh, but, you know, it, it's – if that doesn't happen, I mean, if Hooker's able to go, if Milton's able to go and plays well, whatever it is, I think they could hang around for a little while. But I just think it's like that Mississippi State game last week. Bama sort of let State hang around until late in the second quarter and then really started putting the screws to them. And the way Tennessee plays at that pace, uh, that could really get you worn down in a game like this, uh, your defense. So, I, I you know, I, I don't – I have I give nothing but full marks to Tennessee for its toughness. I think this is a really physically and mentally tough football team. Uh, it could be more disciplined at times. Some of those penalties have, have been problematic. Um, but Tennessee has been so much better on the defensive line than any of us would have thought. Even you know Elijah Simmons, who's a huge part of that thing in the middle, has not been able to play for a few weeks now. And they've still kind of found a way. Matt Butler's playing the best ball of his career. Uh, they got Terry getting better every week. You know, uh, Young and Barron off the edge are doing a nice job. Roman Harrison's made a couple of nice plays and, and taking his game at least to a better level. They, they've been doing some some good things there. Um, but it, it's just – at some point I just feel like it, it has to break. The dam has to burst at some point. There's only so much pressure they can absorb, only so many hits they can take before things start to change. Then offensively, I didn't know this until I, I, I read that Tennessee put this out this week. 
Cade Mays and Jerome Carvin, neither one has allowed a sack all season long. That's that's a pretty impressive stat when you think of how many times Tennessee's quarterbacks have been hit. And, you know, they've both had some penalties that you wouldn't like to have, but they they keep finding ways to to be competitive up front. Um, but that Hooker deal, man, if Hooker was okay, that that peppers over that 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 papers over a lot of cracks. You know, that's kind of like Hooker's kind of like a spackle, you know, or 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 a caulk. He just kind of he 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 fits in the grooves there, and he over he helps you overcome some issues that you have. And, and if he can't go, Grant, I just do not like what might happen. And I think there's a whole philosophical question there. If he's not healthy, do you um, do you play him this week? I mean, obviously, it's very little chance to win this football game or even hang around in this football game based on the the two teams on the field, or do you kind of roll him into a bye week and give him two weeks off and hope you can get him healthy for Kentucky and everything else that's on the other side of that bye week? I mean, I think that's the question you have to, you have to kind of walk that line between, you know, you want to try to win a football game, but you also don't want to put anybody at further risk for later on in the season. And that's not only limited to Hendon Hooker, that's, that's Tyon Evans, that's Jory Small. There's uh, other guys on the, on the, that injury list that have been playing, short of 100% healthy. And, and it's a question of, do you want to roll those guys out there um, and try to win a football game? Or do you want to kind of be a little bit more reserved and hesitant and, and kind of err on the side of caution in terms of their injuries and try to get them as fully healthy as you can? I don't think that's punting on this football game. I think that's looking out for the health of your football team the second half of the season. And just being strategic about what are your goals here? You know, what are your goals? And what's interesting is, Grant, I asked that same question uh, kind of off the record, not too hypel, um, but uh, h- how would a journalist phrase this? Someone very close to Hypel's line of thinking. You, you see that phrase written time to time, from time to time. Someone who knows what Josh Hypel is thinking very clearly. Uh, someone who knows him very well, someone in the program. And I, I posed that question just sort of, you know, hey, if some of those guys are dinged up, do you, do you think about sort of being – cautious with them and maybe kind of taking lumps this week and knowing that you know you had to circle the wagons for Ole Miss then you got to circle the wagons for Kentucky because those are the games that could change your season and this person very politely but very firmly said to me that Josh Heupel never ever ever thinks that way that the way he is wired he's a former quarterback he's a competitive guy he wants to win every game he has on the schedule he wants to give Every, he wants to give every opponent his best shot. That's why you've seen starters stay in the game a couple possessions longer than maybe you would think in some games this season. That's why you've seen guys play through some stuff when it's like maybe if he waited a week or two, he'd be better. It's not like he's risking any of their health. It's not that because the way he's wired, if a guy can't go, he's never going to tell the trainer, well, give him some Toradol and move on. He doesn't do that. That's not how he's wired. But he is wired very competitively, and his goal is to go down to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama, and he wants everybody who can play to be able to play. And now the question, the better question, I think, in their mind, now the better question in our mind with Hooker seems to be we're agreeing here is do you play him in the game because is it worth it? Um, but the way in their mind, the way they're thinking is he's got a leg injury. If he can play but he can't run anywhere near as well as he normally does, how well does he have to be able to run to be effective? How well does he have to run in order to be the best option for this team to win this game? That's the way I think they're thinking of it. And that's a fair question because with his experience, you would imagine that he's still, even at 50% mobility, probably in their opinion, their best chance to win the game because he can't run the way he normally does, but he can, he can scoot a little bit. Um, but he's also played in tough environments. He's played in sellout, hostile road venues at the Power 5 level. He knows what he's doing, right? I mean, he's played in loud places before. He has even this year. So that's maybe that's their line of thinking. You just have so much more trust in him. I mean, everywhere that, that Joe Milton has caused you to question him, you really don't feel a ton of trust in him at quarterback. It feels like all those questions have been answered by Hooker. And even if he can't run at 100%, he's operated in this offense and he keeps plays alive and he hits shots downfield when they're there and, you know, stuff like that. He just manages the offense well, despite, you know, even if he's not 100% healthy. So I think that's something you have to – and if that's Heupel's line of thinking, he's earned the benefit of the doubt because it feels like the buttons he's pushed so far have been the right buttons to push 
I mean, everybody wanted to joke and make fun of him in January and February when he's doing the kumbayas and the trust falls and the team activities and, you know, all that stuff, trying to build the culture and positive vibes only and all the stuff you always hear with coaches. But it really does look like it's paid off. I mean, this looks like a much closer football team than something we've seen in the past. And I think you see that on Saturdays, you know, even against Ole Miss in a game where they could have, you know, they could have quit at any point in the fourth quarter when it looks like same things weren't going their way. And they kind of kept getting stops and they get, kept getting off the field and they kept having scoring opportunities and they had a chance to win late in the game. So I think he's got the right mindset and I think he's got, you know, he's pushed the right buttons. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt to, um, I don't know, approach this game. You, you kind of think it's going to be the right way based on how he goes about it. Yeah, I wonder quickly, the way I can describe this line of thinking, at least the way I think about it is I wonder, and I haven't asked this question to them, to, to Hypel, to anyone in the program, even off the record, but I'm just, I'm thinking out loud here that the way that they have pushed this team and the way that they have kept that message going, I wonder if in their mind they're thinking, if these guys ever think for one second that we're dialing it back, then this whole thing could collapse. But I have to have them, as long as I keep them on the horse, it, it, it's like, you know, it'd be like a distance runner in the middle of a race just kind of stopping for 30 minutes. Could you then get back without stretching or warming up or, you know, you hurt yourself? You'd be you'd be done. So it's just like just keep them going, keep them going, keep them going. You know, don't don't stop. You're on a road trip. You're trying to get the last two or three hours of the trip done. If you, if you stop to close your eyes for five minutes, you're done. If you keep going, keep caffeinated, keep alert, you got a chance. And, and I wonder if that's maybe the line of thinking. But but it's gotten to a point now where, you know, this week, Grant, that he, he was asked about who, since Jawan Mitchell's most likely, obviously, out for the season, who who is the next inside linebacker? Because you can't just have three. You need to have at least four. Who would be the fourth? And he mentioned Nick Humphrey before he mentioned Aaron Willis. And, you know, Aaron Willis is a, is a nice prospect for the future, uh, a guy who I think we all think could be a pretty solid player. Uh, Nick Humphrey is a 210-pound fifth-year senior walk-on. And a 210-pound fifth-year senior walk-on inside linebacker, in theory, could be out there getting snaps against Alabama if a couple guys go down. So, so that's where things are. Like last week when Tennessee had like a third-and-one, gotta-have-it situation – you know, Small needed a breather because he couldn't play 85 snaps. He could only play like 81 or whatever. You know, Whitehead had the injury, couldn't go. They they gave the ball to Pierce, the fifth-year senior walk-on who came from Maryville College, running behind Dane Davis, a third, you know, a third-year sophomore walk-on. And they they only got a yard, but they only needed a yard. They moved the sticks. They keep finding a way, but you just wonder how long they can keep doing that. This team reminds me, and I don't remember the personnel or talent context of these two teams, but from going from 08 to 09, where everything seemed to go wrong in 08, and obviously Fulmer gets fired to bringing in Lane Kiffin in 09, and I don't really remember what kind of talent he brought in in his first class, whatever time frame he had to put together a class. But that team, it was like, how is this team suddenly, you know, competent? How is this team suddenly, you know, able to go to Florida and put up a really tough test, uh, able to go to Alabama and have a shot to win it? right on that last field goal, if I'm not mistaken, and Terrence Cody gets in the way. I think they beat up Georgia pretty good that year uh, at home. Um, It reminds me of that team where it was like this, this, everything went wrong a year ago. And suddenly it looks like this team is much more competent and this team knows what it's doing. And this team is playing together, playing for, you know, whatever, everybody's playing for themselves, playing for their teammates. It reminds me of that, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go down there and, and put that kind of scare into Alabama, but it is a team that, Right, regardless of the pieces that make up the puzzle, uh, it seems like they're finding a way to make it work and stay competitive. Yeah, it's been interesting, and we'll see if it continues. I mean, it would take a lot to – it would take a lot to make this a close game in the fourth quarter. It really would. I don't know that this team – I don't know if it has that gear. Uh, It's impressed me so far by showing me gears I didn't think it had, given the situation. Uh, I I, I just – in the back of my mind, I keep thinking of – you know, Georgia, Alabama, you're starting to, you know, Kentucky, even the physicality, you're starting to really, you're really in the meat grinder now. And, you know, at some point it just seems like that dam could burst, but we'll see. I mean, I, we've, we've all seen stranger things, right? I mean, when, when Alabama went to A&M, now that's a team that's recruited really well for years now under Jimbo Fisher. So A&M with its backup quarterback is not the same thing as Tennessee with its injury situation. Um, but, you know, A&M with a backup quarterback, you know, did, did beat Alabama. So 
I guess crazier things have happened, but this one would be pretty, pretty crazy. Grant, you got anything else? Any major, any major hoops news? Any uh, anything else before you step out? I mean, one good news, one piece of good news for Josh Heupel is he didn't coach for Nick Saban. Yeah, I mean, you you got a lot better odds if you did not coach for Nick Saban versus the odds of if you did coach for Nick Saban. Although even the, though Jimbo kind of yeah, they're one they're one and zero now. He's on a losing streak against his uh, even, former guys. Even though Jimbo went and spoiled college football's favorite, most often repeated stat. Yeah, that's, that's. I can't believe you you don't want my like war reporting from the sideline as bottles of that's water why rain that's, down. That's why I'm asking for things like on, you were on down the heaven heavens of Neon Stadium. You were down there. Give us your give us okay. Uh, uh, what, what's it, Peter Engel, the NBC war correspondent or whatever? Go, go go here. Give us your war correspondent report. I was I was down there in front of the student section where the band is um, because they were on that end of the field when it looked like uh, Jacob Warren had that first down. And they went to review it, and they came back, and they said, no, the, the spot, this call stands, he's short, first down, whatever. And when bottles started raining down on the field, I started walking back behind the Ole Miss uh, bench because I was going into the media center, and an empty beer can comes flying down and just glances right off the top of my dome <laughs> toward the Ole Miss bench. So I go back to the media center, and I'm hanging out, out there in there for a minute, and I come back out, and I notice Ole Miss is on the field, like the entire team. The cheerleaders on the field, they're posing for pictures. It just looks really crazy. Anyway, I went back down in front of the students and and from there it was just it was it was like playing dodgeball. You would just hear something come whistling by uh, every few minutes. Somebody would say heads and uh, you just take off. Yeah, weren't you, were, were you one of the first people who got the pictures of the mustard that that's ended up being so famous now? I know you took yeah, a picture. Yeah, I don't of know. It. We ended up we ended up near the mustard um somehow and yeah, we took pictures of it and uh Mike Wilson tried to grab the mustard and, and tried to stick it in his pocket. He was going to take it home as like a souvenir. I don't know. He was going to sell it on eBay or something, but it, it, it didn't make it didn't make it to the media. So we were trying to figure out like, is that like a homemade flask? Did somebody like did somebody alter a bottle of mustard to try to get in some alcohol or something? Like who brings mustard to the stadium because they have the big pump canisters at the concession stands. They don't have individual bottles. Yes, that is. And then, and then somebody threw a a bottle of crown royal glass which if that hits you that's 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 problems yeah that's a problem and people people are throwing vape pens which are you know pretty heavy solid pieces of uh whatever metal i mean it was, it was wild yeah i want it's like um if you wonder like who are the kinds of people who would do things like try to collect a mustard bottle and from that event and put it on ebay Kind of like who are the people who, as soon as like PlayStation Fives came out, would they buy them and then put them on eBay, trying to get yeah. three times as much you money? Who you know who would do? Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson, our good friend Mike Wilson, is the man who would would do that. He he would he would put stuff on eBay for like three dollars. He would do it. He's, he's a terror to society. Yes, he is. He he must be stopped. If you all, know what, you know what I was impressed with the number of people that were drinking water at that game because of the number of Aquafina water bottles that ended up on the field. That was a well-hydrated bunch, and I didn't think it was going to be uh, hydration from water. Well, if Ole Miss had had more of that, then Ole Miss maybe wouldn't have maybe, had the most cramping Aquafina, I've ever seen on a 50-degree night. Maybe Aquafina sponsored this whole thing, and, and they paid off people to throw their product on the field. Boom pictures that is interesting and that is a really good final note i think we'll leave it there thank you for the war correspondent report grant i should have played some i should have played some uh like the beginning of metallica's one or something like the the gun the gunfire whistling by your head as you were giving your eyewitness report a better an incredible a better podcast recorder uh producer would have done that but uh i, I am not that thanks, what are you gonna man. do <laughs> thanks for joining us i right. appreciate it man see you yeah see you buddy See you, buddy. And thanks to y'all. Thanks to Grant for joining us, but but more importantly, thanks to y'all for joining us for this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say it, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news on your feed, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. Uh, you can also go to facebook.com slash govals247. Uh, I guess it's still Facebook now, whatever the hell it's going to be called next. But we'll, we'll be there, too, whenever it's there, um, because lots of y'all are there. Lots of y'all like to get your news that way. We will have the news on there, as we always do. But if you want that best, most delicious, sparkling, crystal clear Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the tap, go get that at 
GoVols247.com. The best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Uh, lots, lots of good news with Vitello and those guys these days, including his uh, Joey Freshwater shirt that he wore to the game the other day, which was high marks for that, Vitello. That was good. Also, Lady Vols coverage with Maria Cornelius, who does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all year long. Women's sports, a huge part uh, of the University of Tennessee tradition and culture, and Maria does an excellent job covering all of it for us. Also, congrats to uh, Candace Parker, by the way, on that WNBA title. That was good to see when she's back home and doing all that good stuff. You can get all of that, guys. So you get basically – you get two forums running around the clock, the checkerboard and the summit, talk anything but politics or religion with us all day long. Not just us, thousands of, thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, any time zone, no matter where you are, no matter what time of it is, time of day it is, you can get your information there. Plus, you get a couple dozen fresh content items every day, basically. You get the best database in all of college sports. You get the best recruiting database that's out there. You get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month after a seven-day free trial. That's a pretty good deal. For less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get all of that. And on top of that, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, which used to be CBS All Access. Now it's Paramount Plus. $100 plus annual streaming value in your pocket for free. People around the world pay 100 bucks a year plus for this. We give it to you for free. And I tell you in every episode, everything that's in there. But guys, it is so it is hours and hours and hours and days and months full of you know great movies, great shows exclusive stuff that you can only get from Paramount Plus, some 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 brand new movies, Hollywood type budget movies that are right there only on Paramount Plus, uh, access to the vaults of uh, CBS every show ever made commercial free, also the Paramount Plus exclusives, MTV, BET, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, live sports including vault stuff, SEC, PGA Tour, NFL, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, Serie A, List goes on and on and on. All of that for less than one hundred. That's one hundred dollars value for free. So we're giving you several hundred dollars worth of stuff on all of that for one mediocre lunch a month. Nobody else can do that to you. If nothing else, guys. You should hear from us Saturday after the game. So uh, be good to each other. See you.